1: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: All right, film geeks, today's class will focus on Nia DaCosta's Candyman, the the 2021 Candyman, the movie that started it all. So let's talk about it. (laughs) what's up y'all welcome back to another episode of all right let's talk about it my name is savannah i am your host i do film reviews and film industry commentary happy october welcome to the greatest season of the year halloween next to mardi gras of course this is two dollar tuesday the series where we talk about movies we haven't talked about before kind of sort of this is going to be slightly different Now, it's been an interesting year with respect to horror movies it's, it's pretty normal to get like maybe one or two horror movies in the spring and then maybe like one or two in the summertime you know just a little sprinkle but then the bulk of your scary movies are going to be closer to Halloween why I mean that's the season to do it that's when people are going to be most in the mood to watch something scary unlike you know us movie going psychopaths who will watch horror movies all year long you can always count on us no matter what and then you know that random horror movie in the winter time like January ish that's kind of a B horror movie it's not that good but it's in Entertaining enough, Megan kind of filled that spot, but Megan was not good enough. Megan was excellent. Okay, okay, that movie was excellent. Love that movie. But we've had a lot going on since the beginning of summer with respect to scary movies. You had the Boogeyman, um, It Lives Inside. I'm skipping. That's September, but you know the Boogeyman it was came out in June. Um, the Blackening also came out in June. You know, horror, comedy, dark comedy, whatever you want to call it. The Last Voyage of the Demeter, Insidious Five. Um, Then you go into September and it's kind of jam-packed. I mean, goodness. The Nun 2, A Haunting in Venice. It Lives Inside. And then the creator came out last week. And, you know, that's sci-fi. But sometimes, depending on the content or the context, you can kind of lump them together, but not really. And then this weekend we get, um, what do you call that movie? The Exorcist. Right now, common sense says Savannah, why didn't you just do the original Exorcist for Two Dollar Tuesday? Because I, I that was enough. I've seen it once. I don't need to see it again. All right, I'm pretty desensitized. Nothing gets to me. I don't get rattled. But there are certain certain movies, some things, some elements, some asp- aspects, and I've talked about this before that um, truly terrify me. Truly terrify me. Um, Freddy Krueger can't do it. Okay, he scares everything in me. Javier Bardem's character, don't even remember his name, but his character in No Country for Old Men. Couldn't even watch the entire movie. He scared me so bad. The Exorcist, all right? It, it does it. I, I can't. That was enough. It was good. I liked it, but I don't need to see it again. I can't believe I even bought a ticket for this one. Possession films are interesting ones, especially within the uh, the last several years. We have come to expect. Um, A very specific formula with respect to possession films with the fact that this director, whom I'm still mad at for Halloween ends, wants to tackle the original Exorcist film, which I think is miles ahead, miles above our modern day possession films. These modern day possession films are very tame in comparison to the extraness that was The Exorcist. So it'll be interesting to see how it compares. Now, am I going to watch the movie The Exorcist before I go and watch this new one? Obviously, of course, I would love to see how it compares, especially because I'm still mad at this director, okay? He, he got one more again to upset me. One more again, sir. One more again. But I digress. We're not talking about The Exorcist today. We're kind of going back in time. We're celebrating an anniversary because yesterday was October 2nd. And October 2nd, I guess you could say, is the two-year anniversary of me doing online film reviews. Now, I've talked a little bit about this before, but me doing film reviews started on TikTok, and it kind of started by accident. It wasn't intentional. I went to the movies on a normal day, saw the movie. I had thoughts and decided to share it on my TikTok, in my car, in the parking lot. A month later, I went to see Halloween Halloween Kills, did the same thing, Um, just kind of documented me going to the theater and then me talking about it afterwards. I did it again in December when I went to see West Side Story, and then it just kind of became a thing. That's how this started. So we're going back to that very first movie, which was Candyman, and that... TikTok, I think, opened up, uh, not I wouldn't say opened up doors for me, but it, it allowed me to express myself in a different way. I've always loved film and I've always loved film analysis. Um, and I never really gave much thought to actually talking about film on social media in that way. Now, I've had blogs in the past where I've written film reviews. No, you can't see them. I don't even know where they are. To be honest with you, I would have to re-download the Tumblr app a- and figure things out. To, to figure out where any of that is, because I'm pretty sure it's all on Tumblr. But yeah, so I, I'm not new to the game of film analysis, film criticism. I'm pretty sure I have to look at my transcript, but I believe I did take some sort of film analysis, film critique class in college. Yes, I have my transcript. I actually have a copy of it in Apple Books in the app, oddly enough. It's nice to look at, go down memory lane and remember the classes that I've blocked from my memory. So. It just kind of became something. Oh, I'm going to the movies. I'm going to talk about it afterwards. And then it became part of like my regular content. So kind of in a way to celebrate where I started and where I am now and just kind of, you know, reminiscing on the journey, so to speak. I wanted to go back to that original movie, Candyman, directed by Nia Da Costa. Now, I'm going to do a quick disclaimer here because for whatever reason, and actually that's a lie, it is not for whatever reason, I know the exact reason, but for whatever reason, whenever I review a movie or talk about culture with respect to Black culture quote unquote, Um, people tend to get very mad at me because I'm a little too honest. And I, um, I don't toe the line, so to speak. I know that's a very political phrase, but I don't. I'm not going into a movie with my skin color in mind. I'm going to critique it as it is. I'm going to be honest about it, and I'm going to tell you the truth. That's how I approach things. So if you are someone who is very sensitive, if you're one of those people who are like, I'm going to support Black art no matter what, um, be warned. I'm not responsible for your feelings. I I cannot help you with in respect to that part. I'm just going to be truthful and honest. And if you've heard my review on TikTok, I'm not going to say anything any different. I kind of hoped I would, but I'm not going to say anything different, but I am going to expand on it a bit. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited to kind of take that three minutes and turn it into something more as a way to kind of celebrate because what a journey it's been, how much fun this has been. I never thought I'd be doing something like this. Is it huge? Is it big? Is it moving mountains? No, but I never thought I'd actually be using my degree in any way, shape or form. I figured you know, my degree would just look good as a Decoration on a resume. But here I am putting that film degree to use. So, in the spirit of all things awesome and memories and anniversaries and scary movies and Halloween and things that go bump in the night, let's talk about Candyman. <laughs> franchises are interesting especially your long-winded ones the ones that are several movies long that have their own kind of culture and fan base and lore and you know especially you know if you have people who are very very particular about a certain boogeyman i'm a big michael myers fan i love that's my dude okay love him And, you know, there are certain expectations and characteristics about Michael that I love so much. So it's always a little frustrating when I watch sequels or whatnot that seem to stray from who and what I consider him to be. So I always find that interesting when you meet horror fans. They always have a favorite Boogeyman. Everyone has a favorite Boogeyman. And I find people who love Candyman to be slightly demented. That man is scary. Tony Todd did the damn thing. Do you hear me? That voice, he's menacing. He's always been that way, though. He's smooth. He's cool, but he's he was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. So if you're one of those people that's like, yeah, Candyman's my favorite. I don't trust you on principle. Get behind me, Satan. Who are you? I don't know. Mm-mm. Like, no, who who does that? Okay, Freddy Krueger, people. I, I show you a grace. He's cool. I mean, yeah, he he was an awful human being, but I like his shirt. But Michael Myers is my dude. The Candyman franchise is an interesting one because it is such a heavy social commentary talking about racism, but it's so beautifully done and well-crafted. So this is based on Candyman anyway. It's based on a short story written by Clive Barker called The Forbidden. And very much follows that first movie to a T. We have Helen, who is a kind of a student who is studying folklore and urban legends comes across a Candyman legend and then all hell breaks loose so that's basically how this story began as a short story by clive barker if you've never read it it's wonderful clive barker is awesome though and but i digress and there are what four or five maybe six movies within this franchise not counting the one in 2021 i can never remember how many are in this one but we have this 2021 movie and what this movie does. And this is not the first time this has been done in the genre of horror. I know Child's Play, I think, has done this once or twice. Halloween franchise franchise has done this twice, where they'll skip all the movies in the middle and just... You know, pretend like they didn't happen. So 2021 is a direct sequel to that very first movie. So X and all the movies in the middle, they never happened. I know it's weird. And it's like, wait, hold up. What about this? How come that doesn't fit? They don't matter. They never happened. It doesn't exist. This is a direct sequel to that very first movie. And it's Okay. Now, Candyman, the original, it's one of those movies that I've I've seen once, I don't need to see it again, and I was little when I saw it. And I've been watching horror movies for a very long time. It's terrifying. Tony Todd is terrifying. He is the quintessential 80s, 90s boogeyman who, who kills indiscriminately, who may or may not have a justified reason for being the way that he is. And yet, because of what was done to him, is seeking vengeance, seeking to avenge the wrong that was done to him. So he kills indiscriminately. This is a... This new movie, uh, 2021 Candyman, is a really big stray from the Candyman that I know. The Candyman that I knew growing up is terrifying. Terrifying to the point where I am closer to 40 than I am to 30. And I still will not say Candyman when looking in a mirror. The type of generational terror that can only keep millennials from saying Candyman in front of a mirror. And can keep millennials from driving behind log trucks. Again, if you know, you know. But this movie tries to dig more into the racism aspect of the story, and it moves away from the horror. But I I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. So this is Candyman, released in September of 2021. No, I'm sorry, August 2021. Uh, Fun fact. So I was actually supposed to see this the weekend it came out. However, we had an issue in the city of New Orleans, like a hurricane. That kind of just came through category four. That's a whole story. I actually talk a little bit about it on my TikTok. If you go to my TikTok, scroll through the playlist and there should be like a Hurricane Ida playlist to kind of give you an idea of what that was like for me, my first evacuation experience. But I had to evacuate and I had to, and I evacuated at basically the last minute. I left town Saturday morning and the storm hit Sunday. So did not get a chance to see Candyman. I went home to Charlotte. I was in Charlotte for a month. Now, why I didn't go to the movies while I was there? I just didn't. But when I got back home, like late September, the first weekend of October, I went to the movies and I finally saw Candyman. Lucky for me, it was still in theaters. So this movie's relatively short, about an hour and a half long, directed by Nia DaCosta and stars... Yaya Abdul, Martin the Tiana Paris, Nathan Stewart, Jared, Coleman Domingo. Now, speaking of cool and smooth, Coleman Domingo is that dude. He it, like if jazz were a person, it would be Coleman Domingo. Like he's just so cool. He's just so cool. Like I just want to rub shoulders with him and just hopefully I can be less awkward. You know what I mean? People who are just that kind of cool love him. So. My first impression of this movie when I saw it 2 years ago and I haven't seen it since I the I rewatched it for this podcast. I really wanted to see maybe I'd feel differently or maybe I would notice things I just didn't notice before. Who knows? I mean, it's been two years, right? Uh, My opinion didn't change all that much. I was really hoping that maybe I was a little harsh at the time. Maybe I was still a little upset over evacuation, emotional, what have you. Maybe it was just hot outside. I was you know, kind of hoping that my opinion would have shifted and changed, but it hasn't. I'm still feeling the exact same way that I was feeling two years ago with respect to this movie and a lot of it is still confusion because i went back to rotten tomatoes to see what the cinema score was or the you know the the tomato score and it's still relatively high and i'm still very confused now what i know about black films with respect to film criticism is that film critics tend to be a little fearful when it comes to black films. They're not held to the same standard because nobody wants to be accused of being a racist. And there's already a lot of stigma with respect to film criticism because people are seem to think that the field is too heavy with white men. Never mind white people are still the majority in this country. I don't expect there to be a half and half split criticism. This kind of this weird sort of analytical thinking, it's very much male dominated. It, it is what it is. Like being a woman doing this makes me kind of a, a rare bird. And I'd like to keep it that way. I kind of like it. Okay. Leave me alone. Leave me in my little woman corner. Okay. And then being a black person over here, um, whenever you see black critics, especially on YouTube, they tend to be more niche oriented. That's what I've noticed. Not to say that that's a thing or that's how black people operate, but that's just what I've noticed is they tend to be more niche Oriented, So they might, you know, go towards more action films, martial arts or more horror films. But a lot of people on YouTube when it comes to v- viewing movies are very niche oriented. And that's cool. That's okay. Do what you want. Make that paper. But, you know, there is that stigma within film criticism that um, it's too white and it's too male. I don't know what to tell you. Welcome to the United States of America, where, where my white people still hold the majority. And when it comes to businesses, even businesses of en- entertainment, It's dominated by white men. Now tides are slowly turning, things are slowly changing. However, when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, wanting to have more critics' voices, they're starting to, you know, push and pull for more critics who look a certain way, think a certain way, act a certain way. So it it, it it throws in more bias. So we're starting to get criticism from people who operate and look through the world through a certain lens. Ob- ob- objectivity is kind of gone and it's sad and it sucks and it, it gets on my nerves. So with respect to black films, white men tend to um, step back and they don't criticize it the way, they don't hold it to the same standard. Not like they used to, like they would hold Spike Lee to the fire. They throw Tyler Perry into the fire. So they they try and test those directors all the time. But lately I've noticed this, I say starting in 2016, that If you have a black, if you're a black director with a black cast, black film, chances are you're going to get great reviews, even if your movie sucks, because nobody wants to be accused of being a racist. Me, frankly, I don't care. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be objective. And if I hurt your feelings, I'll be okay. I'll sleep at night. So... This movie um, is supposed to be a horror movie, but I didn't find it scary at all. So what is this movie about? This movie follows Anthony McCoy, who is an up and coming artist in Chicago who lives in Cabrini Green. Now, Cabrini Green, if we remember, is the projects from the first movie. Well, now it's however many years later, it's gentrified. He's living in kind of a high rise with his girlfriend and, you know, sleek and all that jazz, and he's, again, an up-and-coming artist, but he's really not all that good. He's very surface level with respect to his craft. He doesn't seem to dig deep into the weeds of his own soul and then put it on paper. He keeps things very close to the surface. He doesn't allow room for interpretation, which I thought was very interesting because it's very reflective of this movie, but I digress. I'm getting ahead of myself. So he decides he wants to get more inspiration. So at the beginning of the movie, he's sitting in the apartment with his girlfriend and then her girlfriend's brother and his partner are there. And the, um, uh, brother's, Decides, hey, you want to hear a scary story? And he recalls the uh, story of Helen, and you know the Candyman minus the Candyman part. I thought that was very interesting the way they did that. It was kind of this shadow puppet to kind of give us an interesting and very creative recap, especially for those who may not have seen the original film. You're given all you need to know essentially. You're you're given enough information to really figure out, okay, this is where things are starting and here we go. It's only later that you get more information about the Candyman. But Anthony finds himself very inspired by the story and decides he wants to incorporate it into his work. He has a showcase coming up that he has to show something in and what he has thus far is not cutting it. Now, a lot of his current artwork is very race-oriented. Like at one point he has a painting and it looks like he's holding a noose or somebody's holding a noose and you know, really wanting to convey the suffering and oppression and white supremacy and all that jazz. This movie is so heavy-handed with respect to social commentary. There's no subtlety. The director is no interest really, this is where the irony comes in, because the director really leaves no room for interpretation. She is so focused on making sure that you understand and you feel the point that she's throwing at you, that she doesn't step back and let the story breathe. Something that the original did was, we had this um, Candyman, who was the victim of racial injustice. And instead of making this, this overarching huge point of the movie, it's very subtle and it kind of weaves its way throughout the story. It's very much present, but it's, it's subtle. It's just part of the plot instead of being over the plot. Does that make sense? The social points this director is trying to make are very much over the plot, hanging like a cloud. Everything within the story has to fit under that cloud instead of just letting those social issues be the, the ground the story walks on does that make sense i hope that makes sense because it makes sense in my head visually and i'm very dramatic so let's continue so he starts to get you know inspired by this and he goes back to the old you know neighborhood of
2: as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell b2b either
1: Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: Briny Green and he's taking pictures. He gets stung by a bee and it's a nasty little bug. And it it blesses his heart. He stinks him and then dies. And then he gets devoured by ants. And I'm sure that's supposed to be a metaphor for something, but I missed it the first time and I missed it again. Now he starts to get into his work and he starts painting more, but he's still not quite getting it. He's still missing the mark. Well, he ends up running into, before he even starts painting, he runs into um, Coleman Domingo's character, whose name I've already forgotten. My bad billy burke and he is a cabrini green resident and he is the one who recalls a story of Candyman to um our mr anthony mccoy and that's where he finds out about you know standing in front of the mirror saying it seven times and there's candy man and he decides to create that piece of art. So he has this, he, you have the showcase, the mirror or whatever in the art gallery. And it's a mirror, right? Just a mirror. And you open the mirror and inside you can see these different paintings. And it's very creative the way he does it, but it's just very surface level. The art in and of itself is just not that good. It looks like something I pro- probably would have painted in an art class my mom made me take to that extent. Not that my mom ever made me take an art class, but if she made me take an art class, that's probably what I would have produced. It's just not very good. It's not up to standard is not up to par it's clear that the only reason he has the position and the job that he has and the ability to showcase his artwork is because of his girlfriend who is kind of a cur- curator of sorts um but it's just not hidden it's not very good and so while he's at this showcase he sees his art critic whom he's very excited hopes she likes his work and she doesn't she lets him know she's very honest and straightforward that it's just not very good and it gives him honest critique that is just very simplistic but of course she's using buzzwords that are supposed to elicit a um, emotional reaction from the black audience you know it's supposed to scream white privilege and to me it didn't really scream white privilege it just screamed this lady knows art she knows what she's talking about and he probably should take this critique and apply it but i digress um yeah so he's drunk he's upset and uh, they leave and The art gallery dude and the girl that he's currently screwing because he made a joke, Anthony did, about uh, Plan B. And he's the owner of the gallery and he's telling them, like, the only reason you're here is because of your girlfriend. And, you know, they're left alone after the show is over. They're cleaning up. They stand in the front of the mirror. They say Candyman. They're about to have sex and then they die. This is pretty much how the movie goes. Again, this is a relatively short movie. It's about 90 minutes, and it jumps really quickly. So we go from Anthony being this normal human being to all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's devolving. It's not even a slow de-evolution, but it's like it just, boom. All of a sudden he's a normal human being. And next thing you know, his entire hand is just scrapes and covers. We really don't get a slow devolving. We don't get that, that, that descent into mania. We don't get that at all. It's just one minute. He's cool. And the next minute he's not. And there's just, Oh, it, it's very jumpy. It's very episodic. Okay. I, I'm just going to be completely real here. I thought the movie was boring, incredibly boring visually though. Visually, this movie is stunning, it's very, very beautiful. And the composition of shots, the cinematography overall, the lighting, um, the way the director and the cinematographer are focused on image boxes, I believe is the term that I was taught. Um, just using, you know, walls or mirror shapes, mainly rectangles to kind of frame shots, to have people move in and out. Very kind of old school, reminded me of like, you know, those old silent movies. The first one that pops in my head really is Birth of a Nation, but it was quintessential for that where the camera will be stationary and you would just have people walking in and out of the camera view. That's what these image boxes kind of remind me of. It was an extra frame within the frame. Does that make sense? So I thought the composition of shots were beautiful. The lighting was gorgeous. The coloring, very artistic. You know, the artwork for the composition of the shots was much better than the artwork in the movie. The movie is visually stunning. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. The music, the the way the music complements the colors and the tone, beautifully done. But here's my issue, though. I thought the movie was too pretty for its own good. And I think because the movie is so pretty and so bright and so lovely, there's not a whole lot of darkness that it's not, maybe that contributes to it just not being very scary. The movie's not scary. I don't understand how you can take one of the most terrifying boogeyman's of my generation and just make it not scary. Candyman is supposed to be terrifying. But part of the reason why they they have Candyman just not being terrifying is, one, we have no relationship with this Candyman. This Candyman that they've given us is not the Candyman Tony Todd that many of us knew. You know, remember, this is supposed to be a jump from the first film. So Tony Todd doesn't really show up until the very end. And all we really hear is his voice. It's kind of like this de-aged image of him that we kind of see in a reflection. But this Candyman is someone we don't really know. We don't see him and we don't get an opportunity to really get to know him. How he becomes Candyman, because remember he's created by a sense of racial injustice. We kind of see this at the very beginning in an introduction when we see a young Billy Burke who encounters this man who's handing him candy and he gets murdered by the police it's just it's kind of whack if that makes sense yeah it's supposed to be this important and you know socially relevant moment but it, it's just done so so insensitively it's it's almost like the director has a point and she just put the point on film there's no there's nothing to it it's just it's boring and it's bland it was an opportunity for a great setup a great exposition and, and she just left it that bothered me. And when I saw it the first time and it it sure enough didn't do much for me the second time. So, yeah, visually, this movie is stunning, but it's not scary because, again, we don't have a relationship with this boogeyman. We don't really know anything about him other than this little small backstory that was given to us. We don't really get an up close version of him. We don't really get an opportunity to really get in his face and tangle with him. He's just you know, somebody we see in reflections. We see, see his shadow here and there. He's kind of always at a distance. And part of it is he only kills people we don't like in this story. At least people we're supposed to not like. So you have people who say genuine, honest things, things that need to be said, things that need to be heard, such as, hey, your work in some way, shape or form is not that good. The only reason why you're here is because your girlfriend, like bro, you obviously have clear talent, but you're not digging deep enough. Um, these people die. We have one, interaction with one girl who shows up at the gallery. And I think we're automatically supposed to just not like her. It's the way she does her hair, her earrings She's supposed to give this air of you know black girl, white girl who wants to be black, but is mean to the you know alternative black girl in school. We we only see her for a hot second in the beginning, and then we get a hot second of her towards the end, and then she dies. There's no relationship built between these characters. The character development here is very much lacking, and that's the secret to horror. I think that's where it also falls flat. I think the movie is too dang pretty for its own good, and also the lack of character development here. We don't get an opportunity to really get to know these characters. So these characters who are actually ultimately dying, we never get to know them. We don't get to get down to the weeds of them. All we know is that our main character, Anthony Mackey, doesn't like them. So there's no fear in their deaths, almost a sense of enjoyment from us. Because we don't like, we don't like them because Anthony doesn't like them. And at the same time, we haven't really been given a whole lot of time to get to know Anthony. So it's not like we can care about what he cares about or even care that someone who doesn't like him or who has hurt him is dying. So that's where a lot of the horror and horror films come from. It's character development. Create characters that the audience will fall in love with and bond with. So when they go left, you go left. When they go right, you go right. And when they fall, you're falling with them and you want the, what's best for them. You care about them. And when they're in danger, the, the anxiety, you know, is, is ratcheted up. I just made another new word even more because you care for them. You've developed a bond and relationship with them. You know them now. We are not given that opportunity with Anthony or anyone in this movie for that matter. So everyone who's dying, there's no character development for them. We don't know them. We don't care. There's no fear there. You know, we're we're not looking out for them. We don't care about their well-being. Does that make sense? So everyone in this movie who dies is somebody we don't like. And I'd say almost all of them, except for one. There's a flashback scene of a girl dying. We never see her, but we assume she's Black because she's the sister of Billy Burke. So it's another, you know, flashback from his childhood. She dies. But for the most part, the white people in this movie who die, we don't know them. We're supposed to not like them. But this is typical for Jordan Peele, though. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Now, Jordan Peele. Um, I saw this meme recently. That was like, you know, one of those brackets, like best director, Christopher Nolan ended up winning. I think it's on Rotten Tomatoes, Facebook or Instagram page. And Jordan Peele was like in the finalist or whatever. I think I am in the minority here. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan. I understand he got his start on Comedy Central. Um, I'm I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him in a sense. I, I love a good come up story. Um, especially within this film industry, because it really is DIY. It's do it yourself. It, it, it's figure it out. It's make a quality product, hope for the best, and then go about your business. Like so, I appreciate. But he doesn't do it for me. I can't get into it. So he has directed three films. I've seen two. I don't get Get Out. I don't get the hype. Everyone's telling me, oh my God, it's the best movie. It's so scary. Best movie of the year. I watched it for the first time, I think, over Christmas break with my mom several years ago. Couldn't get into it for nothing. For nothing. I think it it would have been 2017. So yeah, Christmas 2017 is when I finally watched it, or maybe 2018. I don't remember. Didn't like it at all. I mean, I thought it was just okay. I feel like the concept was not new and I'd seen it before and I'd seen it done better. I didn't see us and I didn't see us because I didn't like Get Out. So I'm like, well, if I didn't like Get Out, am I really going to like us? So I didn't bother with it. I'm sure one day I'll see it, but I really have no interest at this point. And then I saw Nope which came out last summer. Now I had high hopes for Nope. I I really thought that was going to be excellent. I thought that was going to be good. This was going to be something different for Jordan Peele. He was going into the sci-fi genre and, you know, a little bit of horror here. Didn't like it at all. Um, no, no, that's an exaggeration. I thought the first, I'd say three quarters of that film were very bland, very boring, very dry. But that last quarter I thought was the most exciting part of the film. However, it wasn't exciting enough to redeem the first three quarters. Does that make sense? I thought the characters, the main characters in this movie were just very boring. They're more so personalities than actual people. They were just playing to stereotypes. It was like, hey, Kiki Palmer, I want you to be... Be the most ignorant ignoramus you could possibly be. What What do you imagine ignorant to be? Be that, and you know, Daniel. I want you to be you know cold, quiet, stoic, no emotion. Like they, these characters don't have character; they're just personalities. And then all of a sudden, there's character development in that last quarter. That's what I got out of Nope. But one thing I've noticed in the um, Jordan Peele movies that I've seen now, Jordan Peele did not direct Candyman, but he was a producer and a writer. And I think that's why the movie with the respect to the social commentary is very much on the surface and not under it is because Jordan Peele had a hand in writing. When it comes to social commentaries, which a lot of his movies are, he's very heavy handed. He doesn't leave room for interpretation. He doesn't want you to be objective. He, he doesn't really call for subjectivity in his movies. He wants you to feel and think a certain way. And maybe it's a personal thing. I don't know. But it, that that bugs me. I don't like heavy handed direction. I don't like it. And I find Jordan Jordan Peele to be a very heavy-handed director. Now, he did not direct here. He did write and produce. So his mark is on it. And something that I've noticed in a lot of his movies, the ones that I have seen, I say a lot, like he has this big, you know, resume. Nah, he's only directed three movies. He's produced, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He has producer credits on six of those writing and then three of those he directed. So the films of his that I've seen, I haven't seen Us. So we're talking about Get Out and Nope. It seems that this is a director who really wants to center Black actors and Black talent. He wants to showcase it, build it up, and, you know, put it out amongst everyone else, right? But it seems, and I keep noticing this, both in Candyman, because again, he's a writer and a producer. I noticed this in Nope. And I noticed this in Get Out, that the most compelling characters in his films, the ones who drive the plot along and who move the story forward, are not Black, for me, and this is what I've noticed, that a lot of the Black characters in his movies are some of the most bland, most boring, stereotypical. They're almost just ornaments. They're they're basically ornaments. They're pretty pieces. They're decorative. They're there to fulfill a purpose, which is to be Black and present. They don't really have that much character development. They don't really have a rise and fall. He really depends on these white supporting characters, these white outliers to push the story forward and to move it forward, to give us something else. I got that a lot in Nope. The crux of the story, the moving it forward, kind of the best parts of the story where all the character really comes from are people who are not Black. I don't know, just something interesting that I've noticed in a lot of his films. And I really see that in Candyman, because, again, we only have one black person in this movie that dies, not counting the, the Candyman at the very beginning who gets shot by cops. And then, you know, Yaya's version of Candyman at the very end when he gets shot by cops. So not counting those where we're talking about actual victims of the Candyman. Only one of them is black, but we never see her. Everyone else who gets murdered by the Candyman is a white person. So in order for us to really understand who this man is as a murderer, right, we need white people to make it known. That's it. I mean, the, the, the horror part of this horror movie is dependent on the white people in this movie. I know a lot of people thought the movie was racist because... Um, it's the white people who are dying in this movie. And I understand that conversation. And I think it's an interesting one to have. I'm not opposed to having controversial conversations that might piss people off because you never know where we might end up. But I don't think that's quite the case. I don't think it's racism. I think it might be a little bit, but not really. And I think the reason why I'm so quick to dismiss it is because one, character development in this movie was so lacking. And two, in order for the story to move forward, in order the story to have any kind of blood circulation, you need white people in it. Jordan Peele needs white people in his stories because for whatever reason, he seems to struggle with creating characters, black characters that seem to have any kind of depth. Now, again, I haven't seen us. So that might be the exception, but with get out and nope, I noticed that his black characters lack depth. They're either decorative pieces a small bit of comic relief but in terms of the overall character development the overall personality of the film the overall plot devices that get moved forward he needs white people to do it that's just something i've noticed and it's something i also noticed in candy man that's where i really saw his hand in this one in the fact that the social commentary just kind of sits like a bad cloud and two that the most interesting people in this movie are white I don't know. I just found it interesting say what you want. Let me know in the comment section. Okay. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and rave about yet another movie. So that was Candyman directed by Nia DaCosta to sum it up in one neat pretty sentence. I thought it was visually stunning yet thematically boring. That that basically covers it. Coulda just said that. But anyway, so what's some what's coming up? You should be getting a review on Friday for The Exorcist Believer and now it's basically a countdown until Killers of the Flower Moon. Like I'm ready. I I'm, I was ready yesterday. I'm ready. I am so ready. I can't wait. I'm so excited um oh i'm shaking and then next week you are going to get another two dollar tuesday this will also be a movie that i have reviewed on tiktok but i have not done a long form review for it and i feel confident doing this review now i feel like there's been enough time that you should have watched this by now there's no excuse that i can spoil it i was not able to spoil anything For this movie whenever i did the review so i'm really looking forward to talking about that and just getting through the rest of october um this is pretty much going to be somewhat spooky scary movies i am going to do psycho at some point this month and yes i am going to talk about talk about halloween yes it's all a matter of when i mean you can probably guess when halloween is coming but i can't wait oh goodness I'm so excited! Can you hear it in my voice? I'm excited. So let me know what you thought of Candyman. Did you like it? Did you not like it? If you liked it, tell me why. And just don't tell me, "Well, I liked it." Good for you. Why? Dig, dig, dig. Tell me why. Argue with me a little bit. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why. Give, give me a reason. I want to hear it. Not to argue with you or to challenge you, but to challenge you, to push you to dig a little bit deeper, think a little bit deeper. If you loved it. Convince me. Give me something convincing. I, I want to hear. I want to push you and I want to challenge you a little bit. So if you liked it, didn't like it, let me know what you thought. If there is a scary movie that out there, a horror movie that everyone ranted and raved about that they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And you thought differently. What was that movie for you? Let me know in the comments section. I want to hear about it. Until then, don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and share. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section. I love you so very much. Happy spooky month, Halloween month, all the fun things. Oh, we actually get a, a Friday the 13th this month as well. Oh, it's, everything's exciting. I'm excited. Love ya, and I will see you next time.
1: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?